0: Welcome to Elixir Outlaws,
1: the hallway track of the Elixir community.
2: How's it going? It's been a while, y'all.
1: Yeah, I I actually recorded like a little thing last week to tell everybody that we'd be at Gig City. And when I went to edit it, I didn't notice when I recorded it. There were like, I was in a hotel room and you could hear people like talking in the hallway. and uh a tractor trailer went by and you could hear like their air brakes going <laughs> i was awesome. like well we're just gonna skip it so i i didn't send out a message but i'll send out one today telling people not to expect one <laughs> but that we recorded so
2: that's totally reasonable
1: how about you guys how's life going Keithley, okay. are you muted yeah this is fantastic I was <laughs> muted. I don't know how I got muted.
0: No, summer is super tough because you have to, uh, everybody's like going on vacation and stuff
1: and it's just hard to coordinate. Lives,
2: et cetera.
1: <laughs> you guys were all, you were both traveling for work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had our mm-hmm.
2: company summit in Santa Monica last week.
1: Oh, that sounds like a terrible place.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was fun. It was
1: really fun. I was in Peoria, Illinois. Was, oh,
2: how was that?
1: Uh, it was okay. I just lived in a hotel room for four days and didn't really leave. Aww. I was trying to get some work done. My daughter had camp, and uh, since she had a broken arm, and it's like six hours from our house, I did not want to drive back home and end up having to go back up there for something. Mm-hmm. Which ended up being good, because she got poison ivy on her hand on the arm that's broken. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. She She's a trooper, though. She... Uh, they said she didn't really complain or anything, but I went and got medicine for her and brought it out there so that she'd have something, hopefully, to help the itching.
2: Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> Keithley, were you traveling, too?
1: Yeah, I was in San Francisco, uh, just for work stuff.
2: How's that How's that new gig going? Is it good?
1: I think I think people are making noise at his house. So yeah, so we're waiting for him muted. to pause. I'm not used to waiting on Chris to talk. I know, really.
2: It's weird. <laughs> it's just like a new new world that we're in. <laughs> The look on his face is really good. Yeah. All right,
0: so we, we may have to cut all this out. I mean, you guys might have to record
1: this without me. It's real bad here.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I can hear it. Oh, well.
2: Whatever. It's fine.
1: <laughs> just keep yourself muted till you want to talk.
2: <laughs> so how is the gig at VR going, speaking of wanting to talk? It's good. <laughs> He's just going to give us thumbs up and thumbs down this whole time.
0: <laughs> no, it's really good. Um, There's just a ton of moving parts. And...
1: That, that is fantastic. He, That's you need really to good. Wrap your wrap your whole microphone and you in a blanket.
2: Yeah, and sit in a closet or something. And sit in know. a closet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Go out on the deck. We'll, we'll listen to birds in the background. So, uh, what what have you guys been up to in the? Uh, guys look there i went back to it you had me saying y'all and then y- i miss you oh we took we took one week off, off week. and that's eh, we took that's one week off and that's all it, it took it's and i'm gone i'm worthless
2: uh- <laughs> that's not true
1: <laughs> so uh what do you all have going on in the elixir world
2: we had an elixir bridge a couple of weeks ago that went really well and that was awesome um i'm actually giving a workshop at a shorter a shorter workshop um, at at right Peak Code, which is a conference that's happening in New York at the beginning of August that I'm really excited about. Um so that's been fun. And then working on my uh talk for ElixirConf for, for building out this uh exchange, it's been fun. What do you all have going on?
1: Um I've been chasing crashes due to memory, um uh, running out of memory. So I'm I'm working on embedded devices, so I don't have as much memory. Um and we were sending out tons of messages and as there are events that come into our system and I was just caching them in memory in bulk and then sending them out to however many uh, connections you have. So in the messages that go out to the connections, it all gets copied and then caching them in bulk. And I was caching for 10 minutes, not like a number of them. Um, cause that's the spec I have is to send out stuff every 10 minutes. So just gathering all that up and, and keeping it in memory. And then I wasn't even thinking about every message you send, getting a whole copy of that. So it, it gets pretty expensive. Uh, so I, I spun off a little process that instead of caching, I send off to that process, Hey, here's the current end of the events that I'm supposed to be sending. And then it batches, uh, like 3,000 messages at a time, and actually waits for the all the connections to say that they received before it tries to do the next batch of messages so that we're not loading up lots of memory. So that's been pretty fun. I kind of wish we were on the newest version of Elixir so I could use Continue because I think that would be super sweet because I really don't... I, I have a, this process only sends messages to itself. hmm <laughs> So it would be nice to be able to do continue.
2: Are you working on anything interesting that you can talk about, Chris?
1: Um, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not that you can talk about.
0: Yeah. I can't talk about it yet. I'm actually probably completely allowed to talk about it is the thing, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it yet. So I can talk about, I, I'll just need to find, I just need to find the rules and then I'll actually be able to share some of the stuff I'm working on, but it's very, very interesting. Um, we're doing, I can say as much as uh, we're doing a lot of distributed things, um, and that's, that's pretty fun, uh, because that's sort of, <clears throat> that's deep in the things that I care about, um, and, and I've been learning a lot about, and so, uh, hopefully there'll be some cool stuff to report with, uh, with that, having some interesting discussions with the people who are working on FireNest, often on discussions, and, uh, hopefully there'll be some interesting things that come of that. So, uh, when we get done with all this, um, my hope is that some of this stuff will go back to the community that, that everybody can utilize. Uh, and take advantage of my only other thing that i 've been doing is i 've been sort of working on the the stuff we talked about last time we had a call mm-hmm. and trying to f- give up more stuff, and I think that 's working out pretty well oh, yeah i'm i'm well i 'm emotionally ready to do that, I would say
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so you uh, haven 't done it yet
0: yeah i haven 't done that that part of it yet uh, i 've just been kind of trying to think about if there 's like work I want to do to get to that point where I can kind of say, "Okay fine, this is like the communities now or whatever." or if I'm just going to kind of say look somebody else is the owner of this now and 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 they need to take take it over or whatever. So, I I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to proceed with that, but I think I'm emotionally ready to sort of step away from a lot of the projects that have been causing me a lot of anxiety. A friend of the show, Fred, reached out to me about it uh, after he heard that uh the last episode and provided a lot of like really good feedback and helped me kind of get my head on straight about a lot of things. So uh, that was really good. And uh, yeah, I think I'm kind of, like I said, I'm emotionally ready to move on from some of those projects and give them up and sort of say, okay, here's here, community. This is yours now. You, you figure out what to do with it uh, if you want it or if you don't. And that's totally fine.
2: Is there anything in particular that he said that you found super valuable? Y- you know, the thing that
0: resonated with me the most and this is very telling about again sort of my deeply fragile ego about all this stuff which is he was like the only way that this really goes wrong for you is if you like giving it up like doesn't go wrong for you everybody knows that you worked on it and that you helped build it and that you came up with these ideas or whatever uh the only way that things really go wrong is if you hold on to stuff long past the point of being willing to actually invest time in it Because that's when it atrophies and then people do get mad at you and then they're like, well, you just let it die. Whereas if you give it up to the community, then it lives on forever or at least as long as the community wants it to live on for. And, like, everybody's better for it. Um, So, like, the only way you sort of ruin your reputation in any of this is if you hold on to it for long past the point of you actually wanting to work on it. That was an important thing to hear, I think. And he had other stuff that was just sort of like, you know, people are always going to be asking you for, for feedback and stuff like that. Uh, or for, you know, they're always going to have issues. And the fact is, is libraries that people use are the ones that have issues. So that's a good thing. And, but at the same time, you know, you, this is free. This is your time and your labor. And like, you should spend it on the things that you care about and not on stuff that you feel obligated to care about because the transaction is such that like no one's paying you for your time they're just asking you to work on stuff that's important to them basically for free sounds like great
1: (laughs) advice from our Canadian friend yeah that sounds like
2: really good advice
0: yeah it was really good it was really it was some real some real real talk Uh, so that was good to hear
1: I'm gonna send you uh, a song from another Canadian friend Neil Young where he says it's better to burn out than to fade away it sounds like it resonates very well with what Fred was saying.
0: So yeah, so I think that's that's actually going really well. I feel a lot better. knowing, Even doing the mental leap of sort of knowing that I'm going to sort of remove myself from some of these projects once I get them to a, a reasonable state, it puts a sort of finish line where I feel like that's actually achievable now, and I can kind of work towards that. Which is nice. That 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 fills me with like a lot of positivity and confidence. that it's like, oh, I can actually achieve if I just do all this stuff. Then I can move on from that, and that's fine. Like that that feels that feels
1: surmountable. How about you, Anna? What if what have you got going on? You 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 did Elixir Bridge a couple weeks ago, but what else do you have going on?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm working on that workshop for the conference in New York, and then I've really just been working on this uh, exchange idea for my talk. Um, so exp-
0: explain to everybody what it is you're building because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they may not be aware. Or they may not have read the like speaker note or speaker announcements yet.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I've been speaking a lot about crypto and Elixir, and I'm interested in that world. Um, so really, if anybody's familiar with Gdax or Bittrex or whatever, any of the exchanges out there where you can buy and sell crypto, I'm basically modeling a version of that uh, in Elixir. It's been really fun so far.
1: Are you going to gonna step out there and disrupt the crypto world with no. your new exchange?
2: No, no. I just thought it would be interesting given the nature of the problem and given how these exchanges work um, to see what it would be like to write it one in Elixir since I haven't come across. There might actually be a couple that – I think there are a couple of cryptocurrencies that are writing one right now in Elixir, but I don't know if they're public yet. Um, I just thought it would be an interesting thing to try. So. so-
1: so what have you run into so far that's been uh, maybe the most challenging in in doing this?
2: Um, that's a good question. I mean, so far it's really just been getting deep into the weeds of how these exchanges work and the challenges of how uh, transactions actually get written to the blockchain um, and how you actually have to manage those things. Um, which is not so much Elixir as just the crypto world. Um, there's a lot of complexity and there's like a lot of latency. I don't know if Bitcoin, like actually the time it takes for something to get rid into the transaction to the blockchain and having to hold crypto in like um, hot and cold storage. I'm talking about a lot of things that really aren't relevant to Elixir. <laughs> um, so I haven't actually dug into a lot of the complexity. There hasn't been a lot of complexity yet. On the elixir front uh, mostly it's just been like figuring out how to model what is actually happening on some of these exchanges it's all quiet <laughs> sorry
0: i have to say muted because there's, every... there's very loud hammering that takes place uh, and i
1: i think we've all been pretty busy i'm getting ready to move uh so i've been emptying out my house and painting it and everything getting ready to sell and looking for a house um, about four and a half hours away. One thing I did Elixir related was I reached out to the local Elixir group where I'm moving, um, uh, moving up near Kansas city. And, oh, uh, when is that happening? Uh, before August, probably. Okay. Um, trying to get there before my, uh, kids start school. Um, already, already signed them up for school. So now I kind of have to get on it. Uh, but the, the the Kansas City Elixir Group has been pretty awesome. Uh I got on they have their own Slack channel and I got on there and told them what I was doing and I'm gonna try to go up there to a meeting here um on the twelfth and and visit with all of them. But like I was looking at a house in a neighborhood and I just messaged them and said, Hey, what do you guys think of this neighborhood? since I I, you know, have a very cursory knowledge of the neighborhood. And, uh, so they, they gave me feedback, lots of feedback. That was pretty awesome. Um, and, and I don't know, the, the community is very inviting and, and I appreciate that. And I saw a few people that, um, used to run Ruby Midwest are, are in that. And, and I went to that a few times. So, so it's kind of neat to see old names too, that I haven't talked to in a long time.
0: And I work with one of those people.
1: Yeah, I know. We made fun of you. uh, That feels accurate. That That was actually the most welcoming part of the community was making fun of Chris. Oh, that Chris guy? (laughs) Yeah. He's a total scumbag. I have to work with him.
2: (laughs) No, that can't be true.
0: Well, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about Gig City and being able to record live. I know it's not for a while, but I saw you uh, tweeting a little bit about that
1: yeah yeah um james mentioned recording live uh as as part of the event and and that so that was i don't know i got i got a little excited it's it's always fun to do live events and get people talking maybe we can uh talk some of the speakers into being on the show i mean other than the two of you But I, I, yeah, I'm pretty excited to get down there. I'd like to see John Hughes talk. Since, since I realized that, that I was going down there, it's it's the most exciting part to me. I think I've seen almost everybody else there in person at one point or another, but not John Hughes. And I've been, I've been actually reading a lot of the papers that John Hughes talks about in um, why functional programming matters, and, and so that that's been pretty interesting and and his talk that he's given on that uh multiple times uh is is a pretty good talk to be be looking at i don't know i've been i've been digging a lot into more hard functional uh trying to see how that will affect how i write my elixir because you know it i mean it is a functional language but there are some ways that It's very different than languages like ML or Haskell or or any of that. Not that I've done any of those professionally, but just learning about this, I think, is helping me isolate uh, where change is happening and think more about data transformations down a pipeline and then reacting to the data transformation at the very end with the actual outward world changes
0: of state. This is actually something I, I've been really wanting to talk to y'all about. Um I think we hinted at it uh I don't remember when, a couple episodes ago or I don't I don't remember. But um there's a lot of people like you know, Joe Armstrong is famous for saying like Erlang is the only object oriented language out there, is the only one that gets it right, or whatever, based on Alan Kay's original vision and that kind of stuff. Um and I wanted to present a question to y'all, which was, "What does functional programming mean to both of y'all?" Because I tend to think that we that functional programming, uh, as it's described today, is much more about its characteristics than it is about any sort of like real definition. Like, there's just like things about a language that that, that trigger functional programming to people, whether or not that's historically accurate. <laughs> and at the same time, I wanted to see what y'all's thoughts were on this whole idea that like Elixir is a functional or. It, Erlang is a object-oriented language and sort of by inheritance, uh, Elixir is also to some degree, a very object-oriented language. And I wanted to get y'all's feedback on that. Cause I have a very strong opinion. So I've already like biased everybody. Uh, but I wanted to see what y'all thought about
2: that. Uh, well, I'm actually curious, Chris, I mean, before, or Amos, if you want to respond, but I'm curious how you, given that you have been doing a lot of thinking, um, how you would define how what it means to you like how would you define functional programming
1: so i i um i in talking to other people i run into two common definitions one of them is if you can have create higher order functions like if you can if functions are first class citizens and can be passed around that's functional language uh i look at it more uh as you know, immutable data and functions are things that given the same inputs, you'll always get the same outputs. And and I think of that as functional programming, although if you don't add in things like being able to get input from a user where the same input's not gonna give you the same output, right? If I if I ask the user for a a number, one time they'll put in one, the next time I call that they put in ten. That's not a function according to the mathematical definition. Um, so, in order to get interesting things, you still need those side effects. But I think it's focusing more on uh, on trying to keep that that side effect stuff out is the functional programming that I'm I'm looking at.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of define this stuff as uh, well. Functional programming puts emphasis on data transformation, or you have functions that you can pass around as data and execute functions elsewhere and that kind of stuff or apply functions against data or whatever it is. Um, But I think there's a whole set of things that come along or like characteristics that come along with that in a, in a modern context uh, that, that aren't historically accurate or don't really describe functional programming in a real way. But uh, the things I'm thinking about are like immutable data. So we sort of take it for granted that we have immutable data structures um, and, you know, uh, other functional languages have immutable data structures like closure has immutable data structures and Haskell has immutable data structures. Uh, but hang on. That is the loudest metronome I've ever heard, but we take it for granted now. And I think uh, that we have this, these immutable structures and a lot of people now conflate immutability with functional programming when that's actually a relatively new concept all things being equal, like that's not, that's not historic. There's no historical precedent for that necessarily. Uh, People build languages with certain characteristics and things are immutable because they have to be, or so for instance, Erlang uses immutable data because it solves a whole host of concurrency problems, right? It's a, it's a means to an end. Uh, Closure basically follows the same thing. Like it, it uses immutable data because it solves immediately a whole host of, of concurrency problems. Um, And the rest of it is making it easy to do data transformations with immutable data structures. And I think that's what Clojure really brought to the table was you had immutable data by default, and there were these very specific ways that you could manipulate it and extend it um, that worked for all immutable data structures. Um, And so it puts that emphasis back on the data transformation as the focus. So so I think we tend to like describe these paradigms by their feature sets mm-hmm. and I'm I just wonder like how useful uh that is. Um uh, and by the same token I think we describe um the reason people have this opinion that like oh Erlang is this object oriented language is because messages. And for some reason like we've just assumed we just associate messages with object oriented languages because of small talk and and that kind of stuff. So people talk a lot about Erlang being an object-oriented language or like the most object-oriented language. And I'm not convinced that's a good thing because the things that I learned from OO, I now sort of actively fight against doing because I don't feel like they're sustainable patterns for building systems long-term. I've seen systems that attempt to model object-oriented code by like having a process per entity kind of thing. And every time I've seen people do that in Erlang and Elixir, I feel like it inhibits their ability to actually uh, like they, they always regret that design decision once they get deeper into it. They're like, wow, this did not give me the things that I really wanted here. Or like this was um, uh, it becomes very limiting or, be, you know, they become, you start to find bottlenecks in that system or you start to find consistency errors with your state. Cause now you've got state sort of spread all over the place. Uh, and so I'm curious to see what y'all think about this idea that, Erlang is an object oriented language because I can see why people say that, but I don't think that's a thing we should lean into at all. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I, so when, when I'm working in Elixir, I do feel like it's semi object oriented. Um, but I look at the objects as, as different things where before everything in my system was a little object. Now the, uh, call microservices the processes are, are objects but the they're not individual pieces like I don't have a user process right but there there are some aspects of a process as a whole being treated like an object because it has state you have a, a process that's going to have state it, it's hard to do interesting things without having a state so it's just abstracted to a different level and i think at that high level some of the OO techniques are still applicable but inside um they're not so i don't know i i would go back to um oh man i can't think of his name right now there's one guy that was kind of all over the ruby community did a lot of javascript uh destroy all software
2: gary bernhardt gary
1: bernhardt thank you so gary talked about um an imperative shell with a functional core And I think that each little process is kind of like that. And that imperative shell is your uh, object, for lack of a better term. And that some of the OO techniques still apply at that level. But internally, I guess traditional functional programming techniques and styles work better.
0: I mean, I think that's that's a reasonable way to look at it. My opinion tends to be that at the end of the day, you want to be a lot closer to the kinds of things that... um, the kinds of, the way that Sasha tends to lay out his, his code. Um, especially like if you read some of his blog posts about like when you should spawn processes and stuff like that, I think generally you, you want to end up a lot closer to that, which is that you, you end up modeling the entire behavior as just data and not as a series of Processes that all are kind of communicating over messages and Mm -hmm. and manipulating each other because that's a that's a recipe for madness like you're still back in the same problems that you had where you had state strewn across your application and now you have to figure out ways of managing it Uh, you're often going to be much better served by. I think the example he uses is uh, like a deck of cards, right? If you're playing a game with a deck of cards, you just model it all the the deck, the cards, everybody's, all the individual players, hands, et cetera, model that all as just data, build that all as in a stateless fashion, and then put it inside of a single process and let that one process manage that entire set of state. Um, and I think you're often going to be much better off and much better served doing that, than trying to spawn individual processes that were to manage the deck and the hands, you know, for each individual thing, like that's, you're going to end up in a bad situation doing it that way.
1: So I, I try to decide on processes based on lines of failure and, mm-hmm. and supervision instead of, instead of data lines. Uh, but sometimes they there, you know, the data can get so complicated that at some point it might be better to spend something off that is ha- has less responsibility to handle, and and I often find out that that naturally falls out along a line of of failure, even though I might not have noticed it at first, or of recovery. So a recovery line, maybe not necessarily a failure line, but a recovery line, because it might be easier to recover the smaller amount of data because you know how to recover that, but maybe the wider system you don't.
2: I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it's funny how much that starts to permeate your thinking.
0: Uh, I know for me, it's it's almost become like concurrency is a great way to, and, and having multiple actors is a great way to to gain like parallelism and speed and all that kind of stuff, performance. But it's interesting how much my thinking has been skewed towards like I, I use concurrency as a means to an end, where the 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 end is I want fault tolerance. So I want to separate these things so that if this fails, this one doesn't. And that's how you, you you achieve that by using concurrency. It's just funny to me, uh, how, how much that's changed my opinion of all of it, of how much that's changed my, the way of thinking about how I structure state, where I put state, how I structure process structures, um, took a long time of doing it before it finally occurred to me. that it's like, Oh, right. Yeah. The end goal of all this is basically just fault tolerance at least for me, you get these other nice benefits that sort of fall out of that.
1: Are you, are you muted? You look like you were getting ready to say something else, but me or
2: Chris? No, no, Chris, Chris I, is I, muted. I, I
1: thought no. maybe he had. I some... Keep th- uh... I keep thinking I'm, I'm
0: like ready. I'm like ready. I got, I've got my hand ready to mute. at <laughs> any mute. moment
2: now. <laughs> 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 and I mean, in the applications that you're seeing, Chris, is it part? Is it partially that people are just still, again, also wrapping there, especially with Elixir? I mean, it's not. It's been around for a little while and some people have developed depth. A lot of people are still new and are still trying to wrap their head around these paradigms. And so you see some patterns that are inherent from maybe their background before, right. It's just that their knowledge is evolving, right. So it's not that people are inherently trying to develop systems that way, but,
0: um, I don't know. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think it's, I think people are just taking the skills that they have, that they've brought over from their, you know, their old jobs or whatever. And they're just applying them again. And this new thing and getting some amount of results out of that. My concern, uh, not even concern, my feeling is that encouraging people to think about it in that way just sort of propagates the problem to some or it, like it spreads the problem um, as opposed to sort of stopping the problem before it even happens. So by telling everybody that, oh, it's like this great object oriented language or like it has all these characteristics of like a good object oriented language, like we're allowing people or we're like almost encouraging people to like to apply those patterns. Whereas I think if we didn't I mean I don't know. I who knows. If we didn't do that, maybe maybe Elixir wouldn't actually get it, you know, adopted and then it wouldn't matter at all. Uh but I do see people applying that stuff right, wrong or indifferent. And you know, you just have to do it a lot and learn that, oh, that's probably, I didn't really enjoy doing it that way. I need to, like, think about a different way of architecting later on.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that that, I think it's okay to, you, you have to use the knowledge that you have in order to grow and learn new things. You can't just dump it all out and come back. And, and I believe that there are things that apply to both functional and OO. And that using it and playing is is a really important part of of learning and people coming together. So I, I maybe maybe we just over time will will learn how to merge these things because I think there's a happy medium medium between um, like Chris you saying like let's stop all this object-oriented stuff and hey let's do all object-oriented and there's there's got to be something there in between that might be better than what either side is seeing so
0: my question too is are there things that are that you have found a lot of use uh using or you've had good experiences using that you're pulling from those past experiences you know is there stuff that i'm missing oh man
2: yeah i don't hmm
1: that's a tough on the spot question there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure that there is. I just don't know where that is.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure again, it's like I'm sure similarly, I'm sure that there are but then thinking about that separate from just in general good principles. Like good software engineering principles, right? That you think about when you're writing code.
1: Well, oh, let's how about single responsibility principle? That's like, the first thing
2: that came to my mind, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it it came out of object oriented, and it, it I think it applies to all programming. Um,
2: that's what that's that's what I was when I was talking about things that apply to all programming versus object oriented. That's kind of what I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it came from from object oriented yeah. world as yeah, far as exactly I know. at least at least that that phrasing of it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Totally.
1: So yeah, like that, and that applies you know to your processes. To your to your data structures, to mm-hmm.
2: to your functions,
1: to, to your functions, to your modules,
2: and then I mean, I guess that was kind of my question: is where do you draw the line between some of that being inherently object oriented, right? When we talk about how we define object oriented, because a lot of it is really just good. Some of that is really good general practices.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not I'm I'm more saying these are things that I learned in the object oriented world that I'm bringing in. My, so it's like my my baggage that I'm bringing with me. And I, I think that they're still good tools to be used. Chris, are we right, wrong, or indifferent?
2: Chris looks, <laughs> I can't tell. I can't tell with the facial expression.
1: There's a lot of drilling
0: happening right now.
2: <laughs> I also like to subscribe to the strong opinions, like loosely held, like having an idea of what you've worked on and an idea of what's worked and then thinking about the new environment and new paradigm that you're in, right? And whether those tools fit or not. It's always valuable to keep in mind, right? Rather than saying this is te- rather than saying this is terrible or this is terrible, or I can't use this or I'm against that, right? And I think Chris, even in what you're saying, you're like you still have all those ideas in mind. You're just like I'm doing the thing that makes the most sense in the paradigm that I'm working in, right? And maybe those things don't make sense for this paradigm.
1: Maybe uh, maybe we'll get some listeners who will tweet at us and and give us ideas of where it applies or where it shouldn't and things like that. Oh, I'm sure we'll get that
0: because now now we're entering into the realm of, of the software craftsman. I think if you're used to a certain way of thinking, then that is naturally, then all these new ideas are naturally going to make you feel uncomfortable, which is like not a bad thing. That's good. Uh, That's how you grow as an individual. But it also means that I think this is what leads people to avoid these, these ideas because they, they, they aren't the way that we would have done it in some other paradigm. And I think we cleave too closely to uh the way that we've always done it so to speak just because uh familiarity and
1: comfort it is easy to go back to that that comfort level but i also don't want to jump too far from it although i i do say things like hey uh i think you should spend a week writing code like case statements don't exist just to to make yourself uncomfortable change your thought processes and see where it falls apart and where it works well where it changes what you're doing and sometimes i get a lot of flack for that like people are like well case statements are great well yeah but
0: what is your problem with case statements why do you don't like case <laughs> statements of all the things to not like
1: i don't think that case statements are bad i just see them very overused in case statements inside of case statements and and if you tell somebody that they can't use them, adding restrictions to yourself can sometimes be freeing in making your mind think about different solutions that might actually be better. And it's just a very common problem that I see is gigantic case statements and nested case statements. And it's, hey, take a step step back and think differently. I'm not saying just jump to pattern matching function heads or anything like that, but... It, it just forcing yourself into a, a, a paradigm can, can actually be freeing in, in your creativeness.
2: I would agree with that. You
1: know what? It's like, here, we'll go back to, OO. how about Sandy Metz's rules? They're not really, oh, but um, where she says, you know, don't have more than four lines in a function. Well, great. That's, that's, fine let's try that for a while just to see how it makes us think differently it doesn't mean that it's it's the ultimate or the best or that's how it should always be done but just just put put some constraints on yourself whenever you start to see problems especially when was the last time you wanted to test a function that had eight clauses in a case statement and three case statements in a cond underneath good thing good thing we have stream data otherwise you'd never be able to test it <laughs>
2: <laughs> right well, I mean, I think to be to be discussed further, right? I think we probably have given people some. I'm sure people have opinions about all the things we just said. Any any final thoughts?
1: Don't use case statements for a week.
2: <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Keithley. There's no, no way you don't have final thoughts.
0: No, no, no I really don't. There's no way <laughs> we can pu- There's really no way we can publish this. This is terrible. <laughs> We're totally publishing this. I'm just, I'm like not thinking at all today. I'm not.
2: I think that's the general consensus of the group not, today. Oh, my gosh. Like, I can't um, uh, get it together. You
1: have construction going on at your house. I have it going on at mine. Plus, I'm trying to find a house. It's, I have to, it's, like, pack. It's life, like
0: We're, like, leaving here in, like, an hour. And so I have to, like, pack still.
2: All right. Well, have a good. Where are you going?
0: Oh, just we're going to Georgia.
2: Okay.
1: Somewhere in Georgia. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my vacations. I just well, let my fun. wife plan them. <laughs> So you're going to Georgia and Anna, what are you doing next week?
2: Next week. I'm actually or this, he- this week, this week. I'm actually here, which is nice. I've been traveling a lot, so it'll be nice to not travel.
1: Ah, so Chris is traveling. You're staying at home and who knows what's going on at my house? Cause <laughs> selling a house, you never know.
2: <laughs> right. Oh my God. Well, have a good, have a good rest of your week y'all and we'll catch up in a week.
1: Too thanks. Yep. A- A- Bye. A-